You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Covenant Church in Big Spring, Texas. Thank you so much for joining us online. To find more resources or to donate to this amazing ministry, please visit us at cccbigspring.org or text your amount to 84321. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God. I told you to go to the what book? Okay, what chapter? Okay, chapter 3. Chapter 3. We are in week 1 of our brand new series uh, entitled Lies, Couple, uh, Lies Couples Believe. Say that with me. Lies Couples Believe. Now, before we get started, I'm going to have you stand here in a moment because it is our custom to stand for the opening reading of God's Word. But I want to share with something with you. Uh, starting this coming Wednesday, because we're going to be in this series not only in, on Sunday, uh, but on Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday's edition of Lies Couples Believe will be a little different. Uh, it's three main, major segments. The first one is we're going to open up like we always do with praise and worship. And so we encourage you to be here at 7 o'clock uh, on Wednesday nights. Um, so please be a part of that experience. The second thing we want to share with you is that uh, Bella and I will both be on the platform. We will share three points apiece of what we wish men or women would know and do. And then the last part of that segment is Q&A. So we're going to have uh, our team that's going to have mics uh, uh, in the sanctuary, and you're going to be able to ask your questions, and we're going to respond uh, best we can by giving some wisdom as it relates to maybe that will inspire, encourage, maybe infuse your relationship with what it needs, uh, or maybe add some health to your relationship. So please make plans to join us uh, on uh, this coming Wednesday at 7 p.m. Can you say amen to that? Amen. All right. So uh, thank you for being here today for the launching of this series. For those who have uh, decided to join us online, we are delighted uh, to have you here. Now, both on-site and online, we're going to have a challenge for you here uh, at the conclusion of this message. Uh, but please, please, uh, let's stay connected because I believe God is going to do something amazing with this particular series. Our topic centers around throughout this series is unmasking the lies of the enemy of our relationship. That's what we, we plan to do. Unmask the lies of the enemy uh, that is attacking our relationships. So Genesis, let us stand uh, for the opening reading of God's word. I'll be reading from the New King, uh, New King James translation. Uh, your translation may be different from mine, but I believe you'll be able to follow along. I'll be in Genesis chapter 3, starting there in verse number 1. Uh, we're going to read from verses 1 through 11. Can you say amen? He says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he says to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, and the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of, it, eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eye and it was desirable, the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband, gave her, I'm sorry, and she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you? You should not eat. I want to bring your attention uh, because we're going to cover these over the, this particular passage over the next couple of weeks. And so uh, I really want to be with you at, at a minimum of three weeks just on this passage. And because of that, how, many, how, how do you eat an elephant? That's right, one bite at a time. So we're going to take our first bite off of verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. So let's look at that. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he says to the woman, and he said to the woman, and he said to the woman. Say that with me. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of which the tree which in which in the midst of the garden God has said you shall not eat of it nor shall you touch it lest you die verse 4 is the key then the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die here it is in our first week of our last couple belief series we're going to unmask the strategies and the plans of the deceptive uh, strategic and strange voices that bring division in our relationships in the message today entitled here it is strange voices strange voices let's pray father we honor you we honor your word now we simply ask that you would let your word go out and not return void but let it go out and accomplish what it's sent out to do is our prayer in jesus name and the church said amen, amen. please be seated in the presence of the lord god bless you Somebody say strange voices. Yeah, strange voices. The first thing I, I think it's important to share with you is that uh, lies, uh, the, the, the opening of lies is important to God. God, God. God takes lying seriously. So much so that when God begins to deal with his people and he begins to share his laws and his expectations, he deals with Moses on Mount Sinai, check this out, and he gives him ten commandments. Number nine was do not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, out of all the things that God said, lying made the top ten. So that shows us that God takes lying seriously. There are some of you who are scholars that will say, well, we know that there's more than ten laws. Actually, there's 613 laws. Because there's 365 laws that we would say are what we call negative laws or laws that uh, are calling, cause, calls us to abstain from some things. So there's 365 laws that, that God commands us to abstain from. Then there's 248 laws that are what we call positive laws. In other words, it's about performance. In other words, these laws command you to do something. So you take 248 and 365 and combine them, there's 613 laws. So in the Old Testament alone, we can probably search and squeeze that out. But when you go to the New Testament, you realize that there's two laws. So we go from 10 to 613. But then as a New Testament believer, you and I, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, amen, you are a New Testament believer, there's two laws. And those two laws is simply this. God gives this command. He says, your job is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Now, how is it possible to go from 10 to 613 to two laws? Because if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, you'll never violate the 613 laws. And this is why, because those laws are viewed in the sense of vertical and horizontal. How we honor God, which is horizontal, how we honor and protect and watch over one another is vertical. And so God says, if you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, vertical, and love your neighbor as yourself, come on somebody, then that's horizontal. God says, if you take care of this and take care of this, everything will be all right. I feel like preaching already. As you can probably tell, I'm pretty excited about this series. And one of the things that I want to do as we launch into this series, because I want to lay a foundation, because uh, we're going to be going somewhere every week. I want to lay down because I, I've decided to take more of a three-pronged approach to this, this, uh, this foundation of what I want to tell you right here in the introduction. This is important. Because uh, when I say three-prong, I remember being in the military. Every now and then we would go out to the firing range and we would take an M60 and place it on a tripod. Tripod comes from the Greek word tripus, meaning having three feet. Three feet brings steady balance to what you're trying to hold up. So out of, in an effort to what we're going to hold up throughout this series, I want to start with these three things. The first one is found in John 3, or John 8, and verses 31 and 32. That's the first one. I want to read this to you. John Chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 says this. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. But check this out. Verse 32 says this. And you shall know the truth, and the truth makes you free. The truth makes you free. So if the truth has the power to set you free, what is the power of a lie? See, if the truth can set you free, then a lie can keep you in bondage. I want you to think about that. It is important that we pursue the truth. Somebody should have said amen. So that's the first thing that we want to lay down. The second thing I want to share with you is simply this. Well, you'll see this in the passage, but notice that when Eve dialogues with the enemy, his first job is, he says this, he says, he says, has God indeed said that? Now remember, Theologically, we know that God did not speak to Eve directly. We know that because if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, when God gives the directive and the expectations and the instructions on the expectation of what to touch and what not to touch, Eve had not even been created yet. She had not been formed yet. It was the instructions given to Adam. And because the Adam was given to her, all of a sudden now he says, did God say that? All of a sudden now he's, he's doing something what we would call poisoning the whale. That's the second point. The first one is a lie can keep you in bondage. Truth sets you free. The second thing I want to lay down as a foundation is simply this. you got to be careful about people that come along to poison the whale. Pastor Willie, what do you mean by that? When the enemy says to her, listen to what he says. He says, did God indeed say that? This is designed to cast doubt. And the purpose of casting doubt is to move the dirt out of the way, to move the soil out of the way so that a lie can be planted in that place. So, so what is the purpose of that? The first thing it does when you're trying to poison the whale, what it does, it breeds distrust. Remember, I've taught you that trust cannot be demanded. It must be earned over time through goodwill. And so if you're not careful, the enemy comes along and uses someone to plant first doubt and then he plants a lie and what it does it breeds distrust can I trust them with the truth 
Can I trust them to be accurate? The second thing that it does, it erodes influence. Anybody you don't trust, their influence gets smaller and smaller in your life. Tell me somebody that you don't trust that you absolutely allow them to have great influence in your life. It is not possible. We, it goes in the reverse motion. So the first thing it does, it breeds distrust. The second thing it does, it erodes influence. But then one of the other things that it, you'll find that it does, it cuts off the support system that you're supposed to have from that covenant relationship. That's important. The last thing I want to tell you as this, we lay down this third uh, pillar of truth is... Well, let's go, to, let's go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. I want to read this verse. It's found in the fourth verse. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verse 4 says this. For the weapon of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Somebody say strongholds. He says the weapon of our warfare are not carnal. In other words, they're not carnivorous or fleshly. He says, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now, the weapons that God gives us is for the purpose of pulling down their stronghold. This is what you need to capture. A stronghold here in the Greek simply means a fortress. And so what makes a stronghold such a stronghold is that it is a fortress. And what the enemy will do, this is why we got to unmask the lie, because what the enemy will do, a stronghold is a lie that you've chosen to believe. I'm going to talk to y'all over here. I'm going to say it again. A stronghold is a lie that you have chosen to believe. So when you have a lie and you don't believe it, you can uproot it immediately. But if it's a lie that you have chosen to believe, then what it does, that word not only means fortress, but it means literally to fortify itself. So that lie will fortify itself in your mind. And it affects your choices, it affects your decisions, come on somebody, it affects your vision, it affects your receptivity to things, particularly when it comes to correction. So we need to understand that the lie that the enemy brings in our lives is to keep us in bondage, it is to poison the well, because all of a sudden, you, some of you come from backgrounds like that, you, let, let me show you uh, how the well is poisoned. Can you imagine uh, going through, some of you are products of divorce, Perhaps you've been through your own divorce, and all of a sudden, in your, when you look back over your life, you realize there were seasons that you were not healthy. So all of a sudden, you talk to your children, and because you're still mad at the ex, you started planting seeds in their heart. And all of a sudden, you did it because of your own insecurity, and you, they was excited to see daddy, or they were excited about mom coming to visit. But all of a sudden, you would feed them all that garbage, and when you fed them that garbage, it got to the point that now all of a sudden, they didn't trust It started to erode their influence. So now you need them to partner with you when it comes to discipline. But now they're rejecting discipline because they don't trust their hand. See what I'm saying? And so these are the things that I want us to cover as we go. Look at your neighbor and say, this is going to be good. Yeah, this is going to, I'm telling you, it's going to be good. Let me give you this quote. Uh, they're going to put this on the big screen. I, I thought this was very interesting. This is by Charles Spurgeon. He says this, and I quote, Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. See, we try to look at discernment as up and down. We try to see it as left and right. We try to see it as black and white. But listen to me. It is up and almost up. It is down and almost down that you have to pay attention to. 
And so you have to realize discernment is really trying to, tell, to determine and discern, is this right or is this just almost right? This is another thing that I want to share with you, and that is don't underestimate the power of an example. Never, particularly when it comes to your relationships, do not underestimate the power of an example. My question for you, my question for myself, the question that we have for all of us this morning is simply this. Who are your examples of a healthy relationship when it comes to couples? Who are the examples that you look to? When I, I was thinking about this for myself, when me and Bella met, we met at Fort Carson in Colorado many years ago. We'll be 30 years this coming next August, 30 years married. And uh, I looked over, I, I was thinking about this when we met. I met her at Fort Carson as a young soldier. Her, she was actually, she's actually from Waiawa, Hawaii, but her father uh, and mother uh, were military. He, he was military, and so they uh, went to Fort Carson, and that's where he retired. And I was a young, active-duty soldier. Notice I said young. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't by accident. Okay, I was a young soldier, and, and I met, and that's where I, 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 I met her uh, at the club. I met her at the club, yeah. I just thought I'd be I'm gonna be transparent during this series. So, so listen, if that shook your your feathers, you you might need to leave now because it's gonna get rough <laughs> over the next few weeks. But but I, I met her uh, at the club and uh, and we developed a relationship courtship. But then when we got married, I, I remember us going through premarital counseling. So what some of our first early uh, examples uh, of, of of mentorship coaching. Uh, pastoral counseling, if you will. The first one was by, uh, by the in, uh, an individual by the name of Chaplain Ajuwapu. That's where we got married at Fort Carson uh, at, at Preston Chapel many years ago. And I remember us having to go through marriage counseling. Then all of a sudden we go to Europe. And all of a sudden we connect with a person by the name of Martin and Vivian Johnson. They were some of our earliest influences mentoring coaching all of a sudden we leave germany and go to anchorage alaska we connect with a person by the name of eugene and linda mccray they were some of our first examples we leave there and go to fort stewart georgia connect with pastor lockett and his wife these were some of our earliest examples we leave there move back to texas living in lubbock trans going commuting back and forth to littlefield and guess what reconnected from many years ago a pastor by the name of hk thomas but I just didn't have pastoral leadership and counseling. I've been blessed to have parents who have been married and are still alive, been married 54 years. Their lives have not been perfect, but they have taught me perseverance. They taught me how to take a licking and keep on ticking. Somebody talk to me here. So, so those types of things help when you look at it in the, own, the long run. So my question is, and my statement to you is, we all need an example. Look at your name and say, you need an example. What I want you to do is go with me to Genesis chapter 2. Let's go back before we dive into this. Let's go back a little bit. Genesis chapter 2, and let's look at verse number 2. I'm sorry, let's look at verse 15. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. Notice God places him in a prepared place. Look at your name and say a prepared place. And then he put him there, he says, to tend it and to keep it. Listen to me, men. He put him in a place where he was supposed to work. That means he shouldn't be sitting at home in his drawers eating Cheerios, playing video games. I'm going to leave that alone because that's not the series. All right, we'll deal with that another time. Verse, verse and somebody said, whoo. Okay, verse 16. Verse 16 says, and the Lord God commanded the man. Notice, notice, the man knows God's voice and instruction. The woman is not here yet. 
And the Lord commanded the man, somebody say the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. And the Lord said, it is not good that a man should be alone. Notice, notice the question is, is how can man be alone if God is there? God is teaching us a powerful principle that I'll meet your spiritual needs, but all the mother needs, I got to give you somebody. Okay, I'm going to leave that another time. Verse 19 says, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he could call them. And whatever Adam called each creature, that was its name. Verse 20, so Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found, here it is, a helper comparable to him. In other words, no helper suitable is God and the animals and God says look at look at God looking into Adam seeing that it was not suitable for him verse 21 declares this and and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs closed up the flesh in his place then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman hey come on oh y'all got quiet right I said a woman listen God created somebody with hips lips and fingertips and guess what I teach I teach y'all listen and God built Eve just like Adam wanted her because Adam didn't get to say how he wanted her he didn't he was asleep Come on, talk to me. But God, boy, when he woke up, he was like, oh, God, you awesome. You know that this is, this is, this, no, 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 this is going to work out. This is going to work out. Yeah, yeah, no. Look here, verse 22, the latter part of verse 22 says, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. In other words, a man with a womb. Because she was taken out of the man. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. Notice God establishes a principle that we will see in the New Testament. And that is for every man that makes a decision to get married, your job is to prioritize her and you got to leave your mom and daddy. Listen, it's cute to be a mama's boy at 12. It is not to be one when you get married. I mean, you should always honor your mother and father, but you have to prioritize and you got to leave and cleave. Nowhere in the text, nowhere in teaching does the Bible ever say that the daughter leaves her mother and father. I'll let you chew on that till next week. Nowhere, but he says in this principle. Now we know that this is a principle. How do we know this is a principle that came after Adam? Because he couldn't have been talking about Adam because Adam didn't have no mother and father. Not in the traditional sense. So this is a principle that he establishes after this point. Verse 25 says this, and they were both naked. Somebody said, "Mm mm-hmm. They were both naked, and it wasn't a problem. But the man, here it is, the man and his wife were not ashamed. So let's go to chapter one or chapter three, verse one, and let's dive into this. And we're going to just cover the uh, the four verses here because there's a lot of meat in this. Notice here, the Bible says, now the serpent, somebody say the serpent. 
was more cunning than any beast of the field. Notice it gives us a brief indication of its resume, which the Lord God had made, the serpent. Somebody say the serpent. Now, the first thing you need to understand that the Bible says the serpent, and then he says, and the serpent spoke to the woman. Two things I want you to understand. First of all, when he says serpent here, it couldn't have been a snake. How do we know that? First of all, this serpent is upright. This serpent is walking around. You say, Pastor Will, how do you know that? Because if you continue to read the story, when God holds Adam accountable, then he holds Eve accountable, accountable, then he holds the serpent accountable, and the curse for the serpent was to what? Crawl around on his belly. If that was what he was doing before, it wouldn't have been a curse. Come on, y'all, talk to me. I told you we're going to go deep in this series now. Y'all got to stay with me. So all of a sudden, that's the first thing. The second thing is, the Bible says, and the serpent spoke. Now, there's no indication right now at this point that Eve has heard the voice of God. I'm not saying she hasn't, but there's no indication in the text that she's heard from God. So one thing is, is that if God is speaking, she's heard that voice. Certainly, she's heard Adam's voice. So all of a sudden, now you got this serpent speaking. Hold up, time out. Wait a minute. A serpent is speaking? That's not a red flag? None of the other animals are talking? But now all of a sudden you're talking. Look at your neighbor and say, that's strange. Yeah, here it is, this strange voice. Now you say, wait a minute, Pastor, we don't know the, the situation in the Garden of Eden. We don't know if it was strange. Okay, let's move that out of the way. And I'll call it strange simply because that serpent spoke something that didn't line up with God. And anytime somebody is speaking something other or opposite of what God says, look at your neighbor and say, that's strange. And our job is to pay attention to strange voices. Look at your neighbor and say, why strange voices? Here it is, here it is, here it is. Why does he do that? Notice he says in the text, and the field, he says, more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he says to the woman, has God indeed said? You shall not eat of every tree in the garden. Remember I told you earlier about the second pillar that we was laying down? And that was to cast doubt, to poison the well. All of a sudden he casts doubt. He's trying to, listen, breed distrust. His goal is simply to erode the influence that God has had in her and Adam's life. And then it is to cut off the support system that is there. Look at your neighbor and say, that's a strange thing. Verse 2 says, and the woman says to the serpent. So not only is the serpent talking to her, she's now talking to the serpent. We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, of the gar tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you what? Notice Eve, even though she didn't hear it directly from God, she knew God's instruction and expectation. There's no question because the text records that she is not confused about the instruction and the expectation of God. Now, what we see here, the Bible says, here's our key verse. Verse 4 says, then the serpent says to the woman, you shall not surely die. Look at your neighbor and say, that's a lie. If God said you're going to die, you're going to die. So what does he do? He, he, he contaminates the well. He pollutes the well. He, he moves. He, listen, listen, this is what he does. He moves it out of the way by casting doubt in verse 1. But by the time we get to verse 4, he is no longer trying to move the dirt to plant a seed. Now he plants the lie. What was the lie? You shall not surely die. Now listen, stay with me. That's Adam and Eve's story. 
But what's your story? We can learn from their story, but the purpose of us gathering here this morning was not just to study and analyze their story. It is so we might discover what are some of the lies we are choosing to believe. And throughout this series, I'm going to be sharing with you lies that couples believe. Here's the first one for this morning. Number one that I want you to write down, and this is the, this is the first lie. It takes hard work. Here, if it, ta- if it takes hard work, she or he is not the right one. That's a lie. Why do we know that's a lie? Well, first of all, all relationships require maintenance. It's going to require some effort on your part and sometimes very hard work for your relationship to be successful. The lie we've chosen to believe, if it takes hard work, he or she is not the right one. And anytime we start thinking this way, listen to me, dear hearts, anytime we allow this seed to cast doubt on our relationship and we start to believe the lie, all of a sudden we move into the phase of a refusal to share our space. Not just physical space, but our mental space, our emotional space. Have you ever got to that point where the other person got on your nerves? Okay, let me see. Have you ever just said, do you have to turn them pages so loud? I mean, they just sitting there looking at Cosmopolitan, and all of a sudden the pages, you know, they're just irritating you. Or let's flip it to the other side. All of a sudden you say, do you have to breathe? Your, your, your breathing is getting on my nerves. Just, you, listen, listen, when you, get, <laughs> when you get to this point, you, you need some help. You need some help. Amen. Yeah. Uh, 1-800-CALL-THE-PASTOR. You know what I'm saying? You, not only, and when we get into the place where we refuse to share our physical, mental, and emotional space, then all of a sudden, one of the things we do, which is very dangerous, and that is, don't miss this, we reject the other's right to complain. Anytime you're in a relationship with somebody and they lose the right to complain, that is extremely unhealthy. And eventually you get further and further apart. And the way we do that is that we go through the phases of, first of all, uh, a lack of effective communication. Then the second thing is we get distant. And then all of a sudden, thirdly, we get into vain imaginations. So all of a sudden, we go from a refusal to share space to a rejection of the other one's right to complain. And then all of a sudden, there's a removal of intimacy. You don't have no time for the other one. You don't have no attention for the other one. You have no focus for the other person. And when you find yourself this way, this is a danger area because usually this opens the doors for affairs. Because remember, the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians, the uh, first chapter, uh, the, the 7th verse, it says, Defraud it not except it be for a consented time, unless Satan tempt you of your inconsistency. So when you've been in a physical, intimate relationship, and all of a sudden that, is not, that need is not being met, it doesn't change the fact you still got a hunger and a thirst. You're just not being fulfilled where you're supposed to be fulfilled. Y'all talk to me here this morning. So, so, you, so this opens the door. And oftentimes, it's not always physical at the beginning. Sometimes it's just a need to connect. It's a need to communicate. It's a need to talk to somebody. And what it does, you don't realize that the enemy is setting you up to take you out. And oftentimes, he ain't just after you. He's after your children as well. Because when you don't manage your relationships in a healthy way, the first people you lose influence is your children. 
because they need you. Come on, somebody. They need you to keep it and get it together. So, Pastor Willie, what are you saying? Listen, relationships require hard work. So do the work. Don't be lazy. Do the work. Don't neglect one another. Do the work. Don't become selfish in the relationship. So what should we do? Let me give you a little bit of homework. And that is, listen, write down how you could be or will be working hard on your relationships. That's a good place to start. Write down how you can make things better. Let me give you another lie. Here's another lie. Just write this down. Number two, and that is, you can and should meet all of my needs. I'm going to say it again. You can and should meet all. Somebody say all. See, this is a problem. And the problem with the lie is simply this. When we believe the person we with can meet all of our need, what we do is we transfer onto them unreasonable expectations. See, we all have needs, and they can meet our basic surface needs, but there are deeper needs in us that only God can meet. And if you don't separate the ones that God has to meet and you transfer them onto your spouse, you're going to set them up for failure. Let me give you a few. Number one is acceptance. You need, listen, listen, you need to not transfer. You can transfer the surface need of being accepted. When you're in a relationship, they, I mean, a part of the romance is being accepted by the other person. But if you transfer that deep need to be accepted and they need to accept you and be with you every moment, every hour of the day, that has to be acceptance by God. If you transfer that onto them, you're going to become a weight too heavy to bear. Because they are not designed to carry that type of weight. Let me give you another one. Not only acceptance, but identity. If you transfer your need to find your identity, me and Bella, we've been married, and, and uh, our identity is found in each other. And a lot of times when people see me, they see her, even if she's absent, and vice versa. That's just the identity that we've developed uh, over time. Uh, when we first moved to Big Spring, Bella was known as Pastor Willer's wife. Bella started working for a doctor's office in town before she became a school nurse. Bella is very good at, at fostering relationships, and so she became a school nurse, developed a lot of relationships. But prior to that, she worked as a nurse with, uh, with a woman by the name of Kim Schaefer, Schaefer and, and became very, because Bella is amazing at giving shots. She's the best in the world. She, I'm telling you, she's the best. <laughs> I would run into people at the store, and they say, man, there's Miss Bella. Nobody gives shots like her. I mean, but you know one of the things I found out, just a little caveat, is that she used to pray about every shot. So God honored that. Y'all don't hear me. So, 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 she, so she was gotten known, and all of a sudden, check this out, I became known as Bella's husband. That is not the will of the Lord. That is not... My point is, is that identity can be transferred over to your spouse. Bella can't live life saying her, her whole identity is wrapped in who I am and vice versa. And let me give you another one. And that is purpose. Our great deep need for purpose has to come from God. I'm not saying that God won't connect you with somebody where you have a joint purpose and you're able to do great things together. Me and Bella are fortunate enough to work in ministry together. That is good. Some of it, we have shared purposes. But we got different personalities and different challenges and different things like that. But that is a benefit. That is a blessing. But understand, we cannot find our ultimate purpose in each other. It's got to be found in God. Let me give you another one. While we're here, and that's security. Security. 
We should be able to find some level of security in our relationship with one another. But that ultimate level of security, that deep need to be secure, has to be found in our relationship with God. Listen to me, if you, don't, if you don't do that, if you don't, and you transfer that need over to someone else, you set them up for failure, and it becomes unreasonable to expect that from them. Listen, you are not called, designed, nor were you made to meet all of their needs, but you can meet some needs. Let me start with the ladies. Ladies, are you ready? Give you a little bit of homework assignment. Here it is, online, I want you to hear me. Ladies, you are expected to meet the needs of your husband's, listen, you are expected to meet the needs of his need for respect. You are expected to do that. This is considered honorable to God and it's considered honorable to him. And let me tell you why. Men hear better through the tone of honor and respect. That's just how they're wired. Let me give you a Bible. Some of you are from Missouri. Ephesians 5 and 33 says, respect your husband. Understand, I know somebody here sitting there saying, Pastor Willard, I'm not married. Well, you're on your way. And you need to know now, because if you're with somebody that you can't respect, you might ought to say, next. But if you're married, you ought to say, touch him, Jesus. <laughs> so, so, every, so every lady in here needs to understand that you are expected to meet his need for respect. Now look at the men. Look how they sitting back with their chest out. They ain't wrote a note yet, but they wrote that one down. They like, what? I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to miss this principle, praise the Lord. But listen to me, men. We have homework too. You are expected to cover, protect, and support her. She needs, listen, she needs and she values safety, security, and support. The Bible says, if you need Bible, Ephesians 5 and 29 says that the husband are to cherish and nurture his wife. Those two words are agricultural terms that simply means you are to cover, protect, feed, nourish until they come into the purpose that God has called them. In other words, God says, I'm going to hold you as responsible to the gift I gave you in her. Listen, God takes it so seriously that he says, if you run afoul to your wife, it will hinder your prayers. I don't know about you, but I need God to hear me. I need God to respond to me. Come on, somebody. And God says, he, listen, and some of you say, well, I ain't seen that with God. The Bible says God is long-suffering. God will tolerate a whole lot of stuff until he don't. So, 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 stay with me here. I want you to understand what, what is the homework assignment because this is the lie. You, you can and should meet all of my needs. Well, here, write this down. A few more reasonable expectations. You need to write down where are a few more reasonable expectations and need you can meet for him or for her. What are some reasonable expectations you can meet for that person that you say God gave you, this gift that you're trying to honor? Here, let me give you another one. Here's the third one. Write this down. If you love me, you should be able to read my mind. Look at all the sisters. They want to walk out now. They're like, well, we know where this is going. This is a lie. This is a lie that couples have chosen to believe. If you love me, you should be able to read my mind. Well, if that's the case, if you love me, you should be able to read my mind. And if you read my mind, you would know I can't read your mind. High five. All right. Listen, listen. Okay, okay, okay. 
I can read your mind. And you know what I read in your mind? You don't know what you want. Okay, okay, let's test that theory. Where do you want to go eat? I'll wait. I don't know. You hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. Where do you want to eat? It doesn't matter. Okay. Hey, let's go here. I don't want that. If you love me, you should be able to read my mind. Listen, listen, we get it. We get it. Really, when we say we want them to be able to read our mind, what we're really saying is I want you to be able to blow my mind. You say, how do we do that, Pastor Willard? I'm so glad you asked because so many of us are losing this in translation, missing missing this because men and women operate on a different frequency. So here it is. What we're really saying is I want you to be able to anticipate my reasonable needs and expectation and meet them. I want you to know me so well that you can anticipate what my needs are before they show up and I want you to already have a solution. That's what romance is. Matter of fact, so much so that God says, husbands, hear me husbands, husbands dwell with your wife according to knowledge. Let me translate. In the Greek, that literally means get to know her so well that you can anticipate her needs. Listen, get to know her, not them, not them in the category. Don't go read Men's Health. Don't go read, uh, go, don't go read Cosmopolitan. He says go read her. Not the last one you was with. Not the one you wish you could. I know that's right. She said, that's another series. I hear you, girl. You're right. So, so, so listen. He says, dwell with her according to knowledge. Get to know her. And as you get to know her, the romance, the intimacy is, I anticipate your expectations. I anticipate your needs. And I go ahead to meet them. I know you had a rough day. You've been telling me all week in pillow talk that you had a rough day. Then all of a sudden you called me ahead of time saying it was disastrous. All of a sudden now you come home and bubble bath is already ready. And you come in here and say, let me stroke your eels away. Y'all don't want to talk to me here. So, so all of a sudden you realize that, that you've gotten to know her. And all of a sudden you're still getting to know her. And you send her flowers, not for the anniversary. Not because of her birthday, not because she got bad news, but just because. Why you send me these? Girl, I was thinking about you. Oh, you think about me even when I'm not around? <laughs> she walking around the office like, hey. <laughs> what, what, is it your birthday? No, girl, it ain't my birthday. <laughs> Did somebody die? No, ain't nobody died. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Ain't none of your business. All right. My, my, my point is, it is to anticipate. But you got to get to know her because you could have been with her 22 years and sent her roses and only found out she hates them. Because her dad, every time he beat his wife, her mother, afterwards he sent her roses. But you would later discover her favorite flower is orchids. And even though they don't have them local, you're willing to call somebody all the way from Dallas to get them here so she can have her favorite flower. That's anticipating and meeting someone's needs. 
That's the goal of this expectation. So, so what do we do? We need to write down a few more reasonable things, not only that we can do, but I want you to understand this. If we're being intentional, if we're going to be intentional, we got to think about and respond to his or her needs, and we got to write those down of what we believe those should be. Let me give you another one. Here's a lie that I believe that, that, that is more common than we care to admit, and that is the lie we've chosen to believe is our relationship is 50-50. Our relationship is 50-50. Well, let me tell you something. None of our relationships are 50-50. And let me tell you why. Because love, number one, doesn't keep score. And when you start taking the approach of 50-50, what keeping score does is it promotes unnecessary competition. Y'all better talk to me here. See, all of a sudden, you'll start finding yourself competing rather than complimenting. I'm going to say it again. When you get into this 50-50, you start keeping score, and what it does, it promotes unnecessary competition, and you wind up competing with one another rather than completing one another. Let me give you another one that's wrong under this topic, and that is, because some of you said it probably under your breath, Pastor Will is right, it ain't 50-50, it's 100-100. No, it's not. That's wrong, too. Who do you know that can give 100 all the time? We are not capable of always giving 100%. Consi listen, listen, consider the changing seasons. Consider the storms that come in life. Listen to me. Life will present some storms in your relationships. You go through all kinds of seasons. If you stay together long enough, you tend to go through some major storms. One of them is empty nesters. What do you do when you've been together and the kids have been the glue to the relationship? And all of a sudden now they're, you're empty nesters and they're gone. What do you do when it's not about empty nesters, but all of a sudden you go through and you've been connected to your parents, and all of a sudden now they're deceased? And they've been the covering and the support and the encouragement and the wisdom that is planted when you got difficult. They spoke wisdom into your life, and all of a sudden now they've departed this earth. So not only empty nesters, not only do we find that when people have passed on, but let me tell you another one. Let's, let's talk about a big one. Menopause. Menopause is a big one, and if you don't handle that correctly, it can affect your relationship. Okay, let me talk to you men. What about menopause? You're at an age where you're trying to still grab hold of your youth, and you're 50, and you're trying to act like you're 20. Hence the sweatsuit. <laughs> don't hate, appreciate. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but that's a small thing. But they can become big, and it can erode your relationship. So you need to understand that it's not 50-50. It is not 100-100. It cannot be 100-100 because what happens when one of you gets sick? And they were able to produce 100, but now they can't. Or they were able to bring 50 to the table. What happens when they start aging? And they're not as young as they used to be. How about mentally? What happens when they're going through depression? And they're not able to produce like they would. Let me tell you, how about emotionally? All of a sudden, they were bringing 50 to the table, but now they lost their job. Now, all of a sudden, their income and their 401k has been affected, and now they're concerned about the mortgage. All of a sudden, now all of these things has an impact on how you view what you bring to the table. So listen, the goal is, is to meet each other's needs, reasonable needs, and to stay together in cadence so the, so the relationship is successful. Here, uh, come on, babe. Let, let me, 
uh, I, I did this to her. I, I surprised her this morning uh, by, by sharing this with her. Uh, so so here, here our relationship is. We're, we're walking together in cadence. We're walking together. All of a sudden, you have to understand that the goal is to stay together. So all of a sudden, she goes and she's going, but I'm lagging behind because I'm not able to, in this season, to keep up with her. Well, you need to understand, our goal is to stay together. So when I can't speed up, you got to slow down. Talk to me, somebody. Because the goal is not to get there fast. The goal is to get there together. So all of a sudden, you're, you're walking it out. We're talking it out. So you need to understand that now the goal is, is that this is why I say it's not 50-15. This is why I say it's not 100-100. Because if you're going to make it, when she's able to, listen, when I'm able to only give 30%, that's all I can muster. Her job is to do her best to come up with the other 70. And as we stay together, what it does, it breeds trust. It breeds intimacy. And over time, check this out, when that happens, all of a sudden, we look through the years, and now she's in a season where all she can bring is 8%. But she's sowed good seed. She's made her investment. So even though she's able to come only with 8, I'm going to do everything I can in me to go get the, 90, the 92% to do what needs to be done. Because the goal is to stay together. It don't matter how fast we go or how slow we go. The goal is to stay together. Amen. Y'all give her a round of applause. All right. So, so the question we must ask ourselves, write this down for you personally, and that is, could you do more and how? Could you be more and how? Could you grow more in what way? Listen, could you actually love more? But I think also, I think also in this season, listen to me, the enemy will lie or have you believe in the lie that a relationship is 50-50, and because of that, it erodes trust because you won't be honest. You've been together, but you won't be honest, here it is, about your weaknesses. You won't be honest about your shortcomings. You won't be honest about the changes that are going on in your life. You didn't tell her you went to the doctor because there were some things going on. You didn't tell her you went to go see a counselor because of the things that was going on. And all of a sudden what that does, it, 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 that lack of transparency can lend itself and lead to frustration and anger. And all of a sudden you're wondering, there's a disconnect. We were walking in the same rhythm, but he or she are failing to be transparent, not realizing that if they would be honest, that person could lend themselves to helping you. And if you got a person that you're worried about them being able to help you, are you with the right person? Because trust is going to be eroded if you don't believe the person that you're with has your best interest at heart. Not just in your presence, but outside of your presence. So you need to understand that that's important, which leads me to my fifth one. Don't miss this. Here it is. You know another lie that we believe, and we'll pick this up next week. You know another lie? Healthy couples don't argue. That's a lie. Healthy couples don't argue. Let me, say why, let me tell you why people say that. First, don't compare your regular, everyday life to other people's highlight reel. Don't do that to yourself. Here they are, you watching, you on Instagram, you on Facebook, and they up there, vacay 2020. 
And you sitting up there saying, I wish y'all could go on a vacation. Well, let me tell you something. Plan one and go. But don't compare where you are your everyday life to their highlight reel. It sets you up for failure. The other thing you don't take in consideration is, listen, they got a filter on. You'll get that on the way to the car. They got a filter on, and you need to understand that real life issues doesn't come with a filter. Real life issue is stinky. Real life issues are ugly, and real life issues are messy. And they do not come with a filter. So listen, when you feel an argument, because all of us uh, have disagreements, but listen, when you feel an argument is necessary, make sure when and if you have to argue, Number one, don't miss this, do so without yelling. When you find yourself in a dinner, I'm giving you some information that will help you. Do so without yelling. Watch your tone. Watch your tack. Watch your volume because all of these are important. Now, some of you are like me. You use the excuse you're just passionate. And remember, I told you, they cannot lose their right to complain, so they have to tell you, listen, take your passion somewhere else. Because we're having a conversation, so I need you to bring the volume down, because your passion has put me on the defensive. Your passion has caused the wall to come up. And so in order to be healthy in the relationship, you got to be willing to bring the volume down so that they're not on the defensive. And that ain't just for men, that's for women also. Let me tell you another one. Do so without interrupting. If you find yourself in an argument, do so without interrupting the other person. Listen, this is what I'm saying. Actually listen to the other person. Some of us don't listen. All we do, listen, oftentimes all we're doing is we're quiet just waiting for our time to speak. But we haven't heard anything they're said, and that's determined and revealed through your response. She's trying to tell you why, she, listen, she's trying to tell you why she had to go into the savings to pay for that bill. Well, the bill was the light bill. She wants the kids to have lights to do their homework. And so she's trying to talk to you about that, but you ain't heard nothing because your temperature's up here. And you look at her and she's saying, well, you know, the, the light bill was an extra $100. And I know we didn't have it, so I had to go into saving. And he said, well, I never did like your mama. Can we call a timeout? What does my mama got to do with electric bill? <laughs> so, so you have to pay attention to what's actually going on. Let me tell you another one. If you find yourself in an argument, you need to hear me. Seek and find a place of agreement. We tend to focus of the, uh, uh, on the disagreement, and the divisive issue tends to dominate the conversation. And what it does, it erodes our unity. Listen to me. Remember, I told you earlier, you cannot catch a lie, so ain't no sense in chasing after it. But we should pursue the truth. And when you study the life of Adam and Eve, what you see is Eve nor Adam ever went and pursued the truth. The enemy cast doubt, planted the seed. They both knew what God had said, but they never went back to the truth. If you're going to get it right, you got to pursue the truth. Why? Because the truth will make or set you free. In my closing, I want to share a story with you. And the reason I want to share this story with you, because you need to know you are valuable to God. Listen to me. Y'all look at me. You are valuable to God. Online, listen. You are valuable to God. How do I know that? Because God has invested in you when he gave his son. Listen. 
The Bible says in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his son, that he gave. God is a giver. And he gave and sold his son for our relationship with him. So much so, let me tell you, God sees you as so valuable that he was willing to give up his best for you. I was told of this story of, of, of this American uh, tour, tourist. This tourist uh, uh, was traveling and was on vacation in Paris. And he was preparing to leave. And he, he decided before he left, he wanted to get a few souvenirs before departing. And so he goes to this old jewelry store there in Paris. And uh, he selects a few trinkets. He selected a few items. And then he makes his way to the airport. He goes to the airport, and then he eventually, from Paris, arrives in the U.S. US of A. And he lands in New York. And there he is at the port of entry. And if you've ever flown internationally, internationally, you know you have any items you picked up in a foreign country, they have to be declared. And so he's there at customs, and uh, they take these couple of trinkets, they look at him, uh, and, and, they, and they assess this tariff that was extremely expensive on just these few items. And he, he, matter of fact, he's at the port of entry uh, at customs. He thought about throwing it away because he didn't really want to pay this high price for these trinkets. And so, but he made the decision to go ahead and pay it. And in his curiosity, when he finally gets through the port and comes into the city, he went to a jewelry store there in New York and uh, submitted the items. And the jeweler took the bracelet and looked at it uh, and came and said, I'll give you $25,000 for this bracelet. He says, no. Wait a minute. He said, but you got to make a decision right now. $25,000. He says, uh, that's nice. He says, but he rejected the offer because he's confused. He, he, he's not going to do it. So he's confused, but he rejects the offer, and he goes to a second jeweler. He goes to the second jeweler, and, uh, and, he, and he says uh, to the jeweler, he says, I want this can you, can you assess this for me? Just take a look at this. And the jeweler immediately examines it, comes back. He says, has anybody seen this? He says, well, yeah, I took it to another jewelry store. He says, did he offer you anything? He says, yeah, he offered me $25,000. He says, I'll give you $35,000. $35,000. He enters into this dialogue. He says, can I ask you something? He says, I need to know. He was willing to give me $25,000. you are now willing to give me $35,000. I just need to know, why is this bracelet so valuable? So the jeweler uh, invites him around to the counter. He places the bracelet under a microscope, and he looks through it. He says, do you see the engraving on the back of this bracelet? And there it was in small print, from Napoleon Bonaparte to Josephine. Now, if you know anything about Napoleon, you know he was around the 17, he was born in the 1700s, he was a famous general uh, in France, uh, uh, all kinds of, you, can, you probably studied him in school. Here it is, this bracelet in this old, rugged little store. Understand, the old store, this little bitty store back in Paris, they didn't know what they had. That old little store did not know the value. But this American traveler at the port, at the place of transition, almost threw it away but it was worth at least 35,000 people uh, $35,000 and this is what you need to capture the value was in the smallest of details found in its authenticity listen to me in your brokenness 
in your plight, in your past, in your mud, in your mess, you are still valuable. That bracelet, I'm sure, had been passed from hand to hand, from house to house, from situation to situation. Remember, it's been around since the 1700s. But it was still valuable. You need to understand, just because you've been through something doesn't mean you're not valuable. Matter of fact, what made the bracelet so valuable was not just its authenticity, but the fact that it had taken a licking and kept on ticking and had been passed down through the years. You need to understand that there is value to who you are. Some of you have been tossed away because people didn't know your value. Some of you sat in old jewelry stores on the shelves and people passed by you and you're saying, when is it going to be my time? Some of you have been in a situation where people almost got rid of you at the port. But now you got somebody that loves you and cherishes you. But listen, and they know and they see your value to them. You need to know your own value. With every head bowed, the first week of our installment of this new series, Lies Couples Believe, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit this question. What lie has, have you chosen to believe in your life? Ask the Holy Spirit, what lie have I chosen to believe? What lie am I choosing to believe right now? And Lord, I need you to help me. I want to do the first one is simply this. Number one, I'm going to pray for you and I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for my marriage and my relationships. I'm going to pray for yours. But I'm also praying because some of you may not be married and, and maybe you have a fiance. Uh, maybe you're in between relationships. You're like, I just left a relationship. I'm, I'm sort of dating but I'm not quite sure how this is going to pan out. We want to partner with you in prayer here in a few moments. The second thing, if you do not know the Lord in the part of your sins, all it requires is you hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, and confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God to the place, here it is, of repentance. So thirdly, I'm going to repent of my sins. And then I'm going to confess with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He is the Son of the living God. And then lastly, I'm going to identify with Him through water baptism. If you have not done that, we want to hear from you so we can walk you through that process, not just for the purpose of discipleship, but for the purpose of salvation. Lastly, we start the brand new series today, as you know, and you was a part of that launch. Perhaps you're online and you connected that way, but listen to me. This is what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to accept our CCC challenge during this series. And what I want you to do is I want you to minister to others. I want you to be as transparent as you possibly can. Number one, in this CCC challenge, I want you to go to any of your social media platforms, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to minister to people by accepting the CCC challenge by simply writing down a lie you chose to believe that you don't no longer believe and why, and I want you to hashtag lies couples believe. Amen? I'm going to do it as well. I want to partner with you, and I want you to go in and write down a lie you had chosen to believe, 
why you don't believe it any longer, and then hashtag it, lies couples believe. All right? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come to you in this moment, in this hour. As I partner with those online and on site, as they pray for me and I pray for them, Lord, I'm praying first and foremost for our individual relationship with you. That whatever thing has caused it to be in unhealthy, distracting, frustrating, disappointing, I pray, Father, that you would help us to identify it, confront it, and remove it. And then, Lord, I pray for every marriage. I pray that they are healthy, that, I, that they're biblically sound, that they are nurtured, nurturing one another. I pray, Father, that the words that have been planted, the lies that we've unmasked today, would go a long way in bringing health and wholeness to every marriage in this place, including my own, and even those who are online. Then, Lord, I partner with them, and as they intercede for me, and I intercede for them, as they intercede for us, and we intercede for all of us, I pray, Father, that you would bless those people who are in relationships that are unhealthy and uncertain, even those who have fiancés, those who are just dating, whatever the thing is, Lord, that they're going through, I pray that you would bring revelation knowledge to them. For every person that is not dating but have a desire, I pray, Father, that they feel open and honest about sharing with you the desires of their heart, of what they want in a man and or woman that they would share that that intimate part of their heart with you then Lord I pray for every person that don't know you that have not made a personal decision to accept you as their Savior I pray that they would come to know you by the gospel message of Jesus Christ that they would hear the gospel believe the gospel that they would receive the gospel in their heart to the point that they would repent of their sins and that they would confess with their mouth and then identify with you through water baptism. And then lastly, Lord, I pray that you would use this series to be the launching of us letting our light shine, that we would begin to minister to those in our circle of influence by boldly declaring the lies that we have chosen to believe, but why we don't believe that anymore and the benefits thereof. Thank you, Lord, for this series. Thank you for Revelation. Thank you for our church family and our community. It is our prayer that you would cover us and watch over us. In Jesus' name.
listening to audio from Cornerstone Covenant Church in Big Spring, Texas. Thank you so much for joining us online. To find more resources or to donate to this amazing ministry, please visit us at cccbigspring.org or text your amount to 84321. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God.